0: Brush up your Shakespeare, start quoting him now. Brush up your Shakespeare, and no women, you will wow. Just to claim a few lines. Hello, Shannon Riley here, inviting you to join me every Sunday here on KSEF as I talk Shakespeare on Shannon Shakespeare Sunday, every Sunday at 8 and 8. Archived here at Kansas 785 Live, as well as on my own website, shannonjriley.com. Join me and let's talk a little bit about the bar on KSEF every Sunday, 8 to 8. Hello, hello, hello again. This is Shannon Riley coming to you from Shannon Shakespeare Sunday, a program right here on KSEF Digital Radio 785 Live, 785.com. Uh, I'm Shannon Riley, I'm your host, and I'm here to talk about the greatest writer who ever lived, of course, the bard of stratford avon William Shakespeare. I like to talk about his works, his life, his plays, his sonnets, everything, and um, it's my pleasure to share what little I know with you about him. I want to once again point out I'm not a Shakespeare scholar, I don't claim to be a Shakespeare scholar, but I am a Shakespearean fanatic, and the good people here at KSEF have allowed me a chance to share some of my thoughts with all of you. But most importantly, I want to hear from you, and I want to hear from you on my website. It's that's uh, Riley is spelled R-E-I-L-L-Y, shannonjriley.com. and send me a message there. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know if you have any questions or in, any ideas for future programs or how wonderful you think I sound. All of those things are great. Um, so please uh, get in contact with me. Let me know more at shannonjriley.com. and while you're there... Check out some of my plays, my short films, Uh, think about it for any theater in your neck of the woods. I would love to see more of my work being done. Um, Today's book of the week is Shakespeare's Songbook. It's uh, written by Ross W. Duffin. It was published in 2004, and the reason why that's the book of the month... Uh, week is because today is all about Shakespeare and his music, and this book is is really great. It's a great reference to the music. It's even got some sheet music in there. It comes with a companion CD and a list of references of uh, the music and where it can be found. Um, so, of course, uh, it's a uh, perfect for this particular uh, week because this is our Shakespeare Musical Week. We're going to be talking about our songs that were in his plays and used all over the place. So um, I'm happy to have you here. I also I need to give a giant shout out to Carice Mapes and KSEF75Live. Uh, um, uh, the show is being recorded right now on my new computer that they have graciously given me so that I can access all of the sound effects software that I like and uh, add some special touches to it um, as you're gonna uh, see throughout the show because today I get to share with you things that I wanted you to hear that aren't necessarily just me talking about it. So I'm really excited about it. I want to thank Carice and all the great people at KSEF. Tune into to all of their wonderful programming and see all of the wonderful things that they are doing for the arts community in Northeast Kansas. Um, the other thing is uh, I get to add a couple of bells and whistles like this one, the Shakespeare quote of the week. And this is of course the opening lines from one of my favorite Shakespearean comedies, Twelfth Night where Duke Orsino says, if music be the food of love, play on. And that's a perfect, perfect introduction to the musical Shakespeare show. Now, it's also time for Shannon's Shakespeare Fun Fact. And the fun fact is that there was always music in Shakespeare's play. Uh, and... People kind of forget about that. uh, But that music was always a part of any court appearance. Music was a part of any performance, public performance. Um, It was just expected. Even in the early days of Shakespeare, uh, even doing a drama, heavy drama like Titus Andronicus, at the end of the play, the audience expected a jig. No matter how many people were dead and lying on the stage, they all got up and danced a jig. That's how people knew the show was over, and that's what people came to expect. Now, the music in Shakespeare's play... Plays tended to evolve, as his company did, and as he himself did. Like everything Shakespeare did, it was greater at the end than it was in the beginning. Um, and we're going to talk about some of those um, evolution in the music in the second half of the show. Um, but there was always music. That's the fun fact. There was always music. And um, it started in the tradition of the the Tudor and the uh, Stuarts, who believed that all the necessary uh, music had to be played at any group gathering. So the idea of not having music just wasn't a thing. So today we're going to talk about that music and what that music was. Now, uh, and you're going to hear, you're going to hear a little bit of uh, what we know that it was. Now, um, what Shakespeare scholars are quick to point out is not a single sheet of sheet music has survived from Shakespeare's plays. We don't really know how these songs sounded we have a good guess and we can kind of figure out how they sounded, but the the, the sheet music doesn't exist. And um, uh, this book that I mentioned, the Shakespeare Songbook, it it, uh, does a good job of trying to recreate with the best knowledge that we have. Now, typically, in a Shakespeare play, there would have been a very, very small band, like a three-piece band. There probably would have been drums. There would have been some kind of stringed instrument, um, a mandolin. Uh, and there would have been a woodwind of some kind. There's a uh, They called it a hoboy, I think. And the hoboy was kind of like a um, precursor to the oboe. It was a two-reed instrument. Um, and certain sounds and certain musical intonations were even used to underscore action of the play. Uh, when the witches, for instance, would come on stage in Macbeth, that oboe would sound, and everybody knew evil was coming in. Uh, When the lightness of the heroine was to enter the stage, you, of course, would hear a strumming of a lute or some other stringed instrument to show the lightness of it, or maybe even a flute or a recorder. So um, the music and the style of music was very, very important, but it was all um, part of its time as well. And it's something we directors and we um, theater people I have to come to grips with when we mount a Shakespearean play. Do we do the songs? Do we include them? Do we cut them out, as most people do? Do we try to find an original way to present them? Um, And I've been a part of a really, really original ways to present them in in my uh, past, um, seeing some really interesting choices on how to make that music... um, fit the time in which the play is being set. I I remember working on a production of Two Gentlemen of Verona at the Dallas Shakespeare Festival, and the director at the time uh, decided he was going to set it in 1920s Texas, and he decided he wanted a rockabilly sound to uh, all of the music. So he hired a rockabilly band that had to recreate all of these songs in a much more um, uh, country flavor. And some work better than others, but I gotta, I gotta hand it to them. They really worked hard to make this all fit together. Um, so it's it's the kind of thing we have to get used to as we do it. But it's, it's who sang in these shows or performed music in these shows that's also quite interesting. For instance, in a Shakespeare play, you just didn't have a lead, uh, step forward and sing. Hamlet did not get up and do a number for you. Um, Romeo and Juliet did not do a number for you. It would have been left to either the clowns off to the side, like um, um, something that Tarleton would play or something that um, Will Kemp would play, like Bottom. Um, Or it was um, a child actor brought in to sing uh, just this particular song for this particular moment. The music was used not only during the show, but to bridge scene changes and to bridge time between uh, scenes. So uh, the audience never had a dull moment on the stage. It was never dark. It was never quiet. Once the show started, it kept going. But you also would have known about music prior to the show we starting because you would have heard this. that or something similar to it. You see, a horn would be played from the top of the theater, announcing to the crowd that was coming over from London, either by boat or by bridge, to hear the particular show that was about to be offered. They always played a horn, and you knew if you were on a ferry or if you were on horseback, you had only minutes to get to the theater before it started, once you heard that horn. Um, And so uh, music was always an important part of what they were doing, and always would be an important part of what they were doing. Now, the other people who might sing songs in Shakespeare were people who were in trouble, people who were lamenting. Desdemona did a number just before she was choked to death. Ophelia did a number just before she went mad and threw herself uh, into a river. So it would have been at times to show distress, at times to show concern. You, you even had Lear's son do, sing a song to show that he's crazy um, in Lear. So um, these these songs were put in for dramatic purpose at various points in time. They did not necessarily further action in the show, so in that way they weren't like a contemporary musical, but they were like a contemporary musical in the way that the music was an integral part of the story and would indeed reinforce the story that was being presented. So you're going to hear some of those songs today, which I'm really excited to share with you, uh, some of them as we go through and try and give you an idea of where they all come from. Um, But I also think... Uh, when I think of music in in Shakespeare shows, I think of the idea of this jig. You know, in Shakespeare's time, um, a comedy ended in a marriage and a drama ended in a funeral. Um, now Shakespeare didn't necessarily follow that pattern, although there were an awful lot of dramas that ended with a body count line on the stage. And the idea of these people getting up and dancing a jig at the end has always seemed rather silly to me. Uh, but it's the evolution of what happened with that music. It went from being just this body or um, extraneous thing that was done on stage to the introduction of the songs helping tell the story or the narrative of the story through one of the characters. And the most important place I think that happened, uh, there's two places where this happens. The first place uh, that I think is very important is in Twelfth Night. You had this character that was um, uh, Festi and Festi carried around some kind of stringed instrument with him and would perform songs at the Court of Ophelia and at the Court of uh, Orsino. Um, and he was welcome in both courts because he was such a gifted musician. Now, in this period of life, Kemp had already left uh, Shakespeare's company. And Kemp, William Kemp, Will Kemp was the um, singular clown of the day. It was quite a blow to lose uh, a great comic player like Will Kemp. But he was replaced by a player Uh, a clown, um, by the name of Armin. Uh, Armin. And Armin was, by all accounts, a very small little man. And this uh, could have even been a dwarf, but he is reported to have had the voice of an angel. And Shakespeare wrote songs just for the voice of that angel. And, um, we don't have a recording, of course, of how he sounded. But what's also interesting is that most of the songs that you heard in Shakespeare were tinged with the idea of death and dying, or were tinged with loneliness or despair. Fessy sings a lot of songs that are kind of sad, and he gets rewarded for it. Um, but it was the drama of the age, it was the time of the age, and what they all enjoyed hearing at that particular time. So, Either it was one of the clowns who would come forward and sing a song while things were changing around him, or just to provide entertainment. Keep in mind that the audience in Shakespeare's time was incredibly loud and rowdy. They were eating, they were drinking, they were shouting at each other, they were sometimes even throwing things at the stage. But it's reported that when Arnon started to sing Armin started to sing, it grew silent as everybody just stayed transfixed and listened to that voice. And it's for this reason, for this player, you start to see more and more music introduced by William Shakespeare in his plays. Now, at the Playhouse, there would have been, as I said, maybe two, maybe three, maybe even four instruments, or at least two musicians who could play multiple instruments, uh, and they could alter in and out. Well, When they went to court, though, to perform at court or when theater moved inside as it did when we get to The Tempest, um, it became much more lavish. There there could have been whole choruses lined up, ready to perform, particularly if it was a performance for the king or the queen. And so there would be a whole orchestra, um, a, a large number of people, but also a huge chorus that would sing. And you hear this in The Tempest, this kind of a haunting Um, choral feeling to the music that helped enforce the magical piece of the play. So, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back from that break, you're going to hear some of Shakespeare's wonderful hits. I look forward to sharing them with you. We'll see you on the other side as we present the music of Shakespeare after this short break on Shannon's Shakespeare Sunday. See you after the break. Thank you. And welcome back to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday here on KSEF Digital Radio, 785live75.com. I'm Shannon Riley. You can reach me at ShannonJRiley.com. I want to hear from you. Check out my plays when you're there. Remember, Riley is R-E-I-L-L-Y. And visit me at ShannonJRiley.com. Today's show is all about Shakespeare's music. It, and there's so much to talk about. I may have to make this a two-parter, but I want to get into sharing some of this... Wonderful work with you. Now, the first thing I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to uh, focus on two plays primarily, which had the most music in them. The first one is Twelfth Night, which was written uh, early in the 1600s. Uh, it would have uh, technically been a Jacobean show, as would be all of the uh, musical song, show, songs I'm going to share with you uh, during this act. Uh, because uh, Shakespeare himself uh, really was then his greatest writing time during uh, as a Jacobean author. Now, it's true. He had written Romeo and Juliet and Elizabethan period as well as several other great plays. He was already established, well-established playwright. But it was under uh, the Jacobean reign where he wrote his greatest and biggest works, from King Lear to Hamlet uh, to The Tempest. There was just such a wealth of great writing that happened in the early 1600s. Um, and uh, Twelfth Night was, interestingly enough, a play he wrote to be kind of thrown away. It was a one-off that he was performing at a festival, Uh, but he was performing it indoors in a court court setting. So as a result, he had more music to play from, and of course he had Arnhem's beautiful voice. So he was able to call upon more of a chorus, and he could call on more instruments. Um, And uh, some of the music may indeed have been popular music that everybody knew at the time and Shakespeare just rewrote words to fit into the uh, lyrics of the popular music or it could have been original music. We just don't know. Um, But here are some samples of what we think um, the music sounded like and I'm going to start with a song called Oh Mistress Mine and it's uh, sung by uh, Festy and it's sung during Twelfth Night. Take a listen.
1: Oh Mistress Mine
0: I love that one uh it's so it's so um of the time you just you really feel like you're you're in that period with William Shakespeare with his company watching that show being performed um but it it has also kind of a a wandering minstrel type feel to it, um, which is very, very fun, too. I'm going to play you another one that, that Festy sings now. Uh, this is one that um, kind of uh, finished up the play. And a- at the end of a lot of Shakespeare's plays at this period, uh, sometimes he would end it in a song, and he ends it with Festy with this song called When That I Was a Tiny Little Boy.
2: When that I was at a little tiny boy with hay <laughs> And the rain A foolish thing Was but a toy For the rain It rained every day But when I came To man's estate With hey-ho The wind and the rain Against knaves and thieves Men shot their gate For the rain It raineth every day but when I came, alas, to wife, with hey-ho, the wind and the rain, by swaggering cold I never thrive, for the rain, it rained every day. But when I came unto my beds, with hey-ho, the wind and the rain, with toss still and drunken heads For the rain is rained every day A great while ago the world begun With Hey ho, the wind and the rain But that's all one, our play is done And we'll strive to please you every day
0: I'm gonna leave Twelfth Night for a moment. Uh, We're gonna move over to another comedy of his called As You Like It. Um, His next song I'm gonna play for you is probably one of his most well-known songs. Uh, and it's been used in film, and uh, sometimes it's just read as, as poetry. As uh, you know, Shakespeare wrote the lyrics, so it, it sounds very much like Shakespeare. Uh, but it was set to music, and it was Sigh No More, Ladies, from As You Like It. Sign
2: No More, Sign No More, sigh No More, Ladies, Sign No More, Men Were Deceivers, Ever, Wonderful. One thing constant, never Then sigh not so, but let them go And be you blithe and born and, and bonny and bonny and bonny And be you blithe and Convert Converting all your sons Hey no more, sing no more, sing no more deities, no no sing no more Of dumps so dull and heavy, the fraud of men was ever so Since summer first was leaving, then sigh not so, but let them go and be you blithe and bonny, And bonny, and bonny, and bonny, And be you blithe and bonny, Converting all your sons of woe Into hey, no nonny, hey, no nonny Hey, no nonny, hey, no nonny
0: opening of the As You Like It film um, uh, that was most recently done, I, I believe it was the most recently done one that, um, and uh, it had Kenneth Branagh in it uh, Emma Thompson speaks the lines of this song but I really like hearing it hearing it sung um, so I'm going to switch gears on you now for a look at uh, a little bit more of a different, different style of, of song And this one is called Double Double, and it was written for the witches in Macbeth. Now, this is a choral version. Um, Macbeth was performed for King James in his court, um, and it could have been performed with a large orchestra, or uh, certainly larger than he would have had. Shakespeare would have had reference to at the Globe. Uh, but it also could have had a very strong chorus. But if you listen to this one, it is incredibly haunting uh, as the, you, these witches take the stage and you hear this number. <laughs> Creepy, isn't it? <laughs> it just is kind of creepy, um, and I, I haven't listened to this track an awful lot. But um, uh, in the few times that I've, I've gone back and listened to this song, like getting ready for this this um, uh, broadcast, I just couldn't get over this how. how creeped out, I would have felt, sitting in this auditorium, and the the stage is dark, and uh, this would have been performed in the courts, lit by candlelight to begin with, and it would have been just a very creepy, creepy feeling to it. Um, Of course, music and magic work perfectly hand-in-hand together uh, when you're talking about a show like uh, Macbeth, but magic was used in a variety of shows of Shakespeare's, and probably his greatest magician was, of course, Prospero in The Tempest. The Tempest was Shakespeare's final solo work. Um, It was a last play, it was gonna be his hurrah, so he'd go home to Stratford. Of course, we know that he didn't have the opportunity to really retire, that he was pulled back in and wrote several plays more with uh, his hand successor, John Flusher. And I'm going to do a, a program about uh, those later plays uh, coming up. Um, but uh, in Tempest, he tells the story of... magician named Prospero who is stranded on this island and when he lands on this island he is a former duke he he was a man uh, possessing everything that he could have hoped for Uh, and then he is usurped by his brother and stranded with his infant daughter on this island well it just so happens that the island used to belong to a witch named Sycorax and he she's no longer there but he finds her magic book and he uses it to learn all the spells and learn all the dark magic of the Tempest. He also finds two servants that belong to Cigarex. One of them is a big lumbering monster named Caliban, who uh, he immediately sort of takes control of. Um, uh, There is reference that Caliban attempts to molest his daughter, um, and he um, is very angry and punishes him severely, Um, but also that Prospero is his master, and he had command of him, and and Caliban is deathly afraid of his dark arts. And then there's a second one, a fairy, that he saves. He frees this fairy from a tree. Uh, The fairy's name is Ariel. And Ariel is a thing of light and air and magic. And Ariel, he uses to do his bidding as well, just like with Caliban. But he has a very different bidding for Ariel. Ariel is ethereal. Ariel is magic incarnate. And so he uses Ariel to uh, help build this tempest, and he causes a ship to crash uh, on his shores, and aboard that ship is the very brother who uh, trapped him there to begin with, as well as several other characters. And he uses Ariel to bring them in, not only in the storm, but also once they land on the sands, he uses his magic to mesmerize them and lead them on different paths. So... Uh, Prospero can deal with the various players in his own time, in his own way. Um, First of all, there's a song that, the first one I'm going to play for you is Ariel's song, um, uh, Come and Go. And it's about how fast he can travel and how quickly he will do the bidding of his master. (laughs) Finally, I'm going to play for you a very dark melody. <laughs> it's called Full Fathoms Five, and it's about the dangers of drowning in the water of the tempest. Um, it is really at its very heart when you listen to this, this style of music that the Elizabethans and Jacobean audiences truly loved. They love things filled with dark energy. They love things filled with uh, foreboding and and thrilling, and you hear it in this number. So, I'm going to leave you with this. uh, Full Fathoms 5. I thank you all for tuning in, and by the way, remember to stay barred to the bone. Join me next weekend as we present Shannon Shakespeare Sunday every Sunday. Bye-bye.